2: This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey, everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Confidential, a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This is the Sundance 2022 edition, and I'm so happy to be joined by editor of in session film host of chasing the gold podcast all the way from san antonio texas ryan mcquade hi ryan
0: hi how are you
2: i'm so excited to talk to you i feel like i know you because i listen to your <laughs> shows and you know we follow each other on twitter and i read your great writing you're covering the show for awards watch which mm-hmm. you know i do a lot of stuff with eric as well so thank you so much
0: well thank you for putting up with eric uh, a lot of people because a lot of people have to do that and I have to apologize for them. Well,
2: someone the has to take the bullet for you. guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, I am, you know, I'm doing my duty. Over here.
0: No, <laughs> no, 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 Eric's great. And uh, yes, I've been fortunate to cover the festival for him. And, uh, and, and thank you so much for listening. I listen to your show all the time. I feel like we're just gonna give each other like compliments Aww. the entire opening of this show but no this that i
2: well, if I've, not us then who right
0: i i know right i mean the the fans out there are like oh, just just get on with it but no and the fact that i listen to your show constantly especially when you have eric on because you guys have great chemistry but um but thank you so much No, um i i never know if anybody listens to our show i just do it you know what i mean because i love it
2: there have been so much with Sundown, so I haven't listened to your Soderbergh Aaron Brockovich episode yet, which is one of my favorite movies. So I have that one ahead of me, but I'm getting to it.
0: No, I, that, that series is, um, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, um,
2: you're going through all of Soderbergh's work episode, pretty much.
0: For the most part, we're hitting a lot of the, the big highlights um, to do his full filmography would be an entire yeah. year.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and uh, w- what we do on on Extra Film at session Film is, is we have a main show that's uh, J.D. Duran and Brendan Cassidy that do the main show where those are the more bigger release and maybe like a top ten or top three lists. And then on on extra film, we sort of changed the format because what we were usually doing before pre pandemic was we were doing two indie films or what was ever was left over. And we were just like, that's not really, you know, hitting our cinematic, you know, heartbeat enough. And so we noticed that they did movie series a lot. So what we did was we got a big list together and we just threw out director names or franchises. And we, over the last couple of years, we've done like Palin Pressburger, Robert Altman, uh, the Indiana Jones series, uh, the Wachowskis last year, Amadovar, Spike Lee, David Lynch. Uh, We've done all these. And and, uh, this year to start off, we've done uh, Steven Soderbergh. So we're about, a third of the way through that, um, we, we're having a, a guest on. We're going to have to have you on on some uh, movie series down the road. It probably won't, we're all booked up for Soderbergh, but down the road, we'll have you on for something. But um, but no, those are a lot of fun. And then in the back half of the show, we we do a, a newer release. So we'll do like the last couple of weeks. We've done like a hero and the worst person in the world and Benedetta. And uh, uh, this week uh, we're we're doing uh, traffic and then we're doing an anniversary because there's not a lot coming out right now. So we're doing the 50th anniversary for Cabaret. Ooh, uh, so and,
2: and another uh, favorite of mine, my
0: co-host, Jay has not seen it. What? So
2: <laughs>
0: I, 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 hey, I just not trying to throw him under the bus, but uh, Jay has not seen it. And it should lead to a fascinating conversation
2: highly recommended. But now both of you you and I are attending Sundance this another crazy year virtually and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about some of the movies there, the titles we've seen, some themes, the most buzzed about things, what we like and don't like. But how's your experience been so far?
0: Well, I am I am sad that we aren't doing this in person. Um because uh last year we were able to go at least I was able to go to a, a festival and then a lot of people were able to do so and then of course um, the Omicron variant sort of had other plans <laughs> before it, and it was, and it was, it was disappointing, uh, for sure, but it was the right move, uh, to make sure that everyone's safe. And, uh, I have to say as much as I wanted to go to Utah for the first time, I'd never been to Sundance in person for, uh, for, uh, ever, uh, the, this virtual experience has been fantastic. I think that there. Their system that they have should be a model for if other festivals decide to have a virtual component that they should be using it because the the screening links are easy and accessible. Um, the the app to vote for the audience wards is is easy and quick to download and takes maybe like a second two to, to to log on to. But once you get in there, it's super easy to vote on stuff. Um I think. You know they've done a great job of trying to do like a virtual interaction sort of thing. Uh, the time spots for a lot of these movies have been very convenient, and a lot of it is just if you have those second screeners, you're just kind of watching as much as you can, yeah, and there's no one stopping you, and there's no one at a door saying you can't get in capacity. And I think that it's been a really good thing, uh, especially given the fact that they've had to open up capacity and tickets have been sort of rolling uh for some of these sold out screenings to add uh more because of interactions and 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 reactions to the various films and positive or negative. And uh so overall I just think it's been a great experience. And then the the discourse on line and stuff has been for the most part very positive. People just seeing movies and it's like, oh cool, we're not going to do what we do and what we see during Oscar season where everyone's trying to rip each other apart, it's just a kind of a celebration of what the new year is. And for me, it's, it's been very like soul enriching to see, like just either. I like this film. I don't, but it's okay. You know, somebody else does. And, You just kind of go and discover stuff. i watching
2: movies and, and, you know, both last year and this year, I I totally agree. They've done a really good job. But let's get started. There's already been a seven figure deal, a bidding war for the documentary Fire of Love. At this point in the festival, we're about a little bit more than midway through. It seems like the big deal here. This is a film directed by Sarah Doza, it's a found footage documentary about a French couple, volcanologists. Is that how you would pronounce it?
0: I would, Volcano
2: yes. Volcano-odologists? Yeah. Well, Katya and Maurice Kraft, French couple who roamed the planet studying volcanoes and chasing eruptions and actually tragically lost their lives together in an eruption in Japan, 1991. Some of the most stunning visuals I have ever seen. Your thoughts?
0: I just I think it's the best documentary so far that I've seen at the festival. I think that you you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, the the footage that they were able to capture over their years of um, excavating these volcanoes, the various uh, the two various kinds, the, the red and the gray volcanoes that they uh, explain a lot in the film done expertly also with narration by Miranda July, who's I mean, just narrate my life, please. Um, But um, my God, just uh, they it's at parts, beautiful in parts, chaotic and uh, insane that they're even close enough to get this footage. Uh, I, I sat there with my mouth agape.
2: I mean, they're playing with death all the time. It has a very Herzogian feel, I felt. It's like at one, they're kind of nuts, but they're also just so obsessive and devoted that you can't help just get pulled into their love. I knew nothing about red and gray volcanoes. Details that they don't want children when they're passionately in love, but this is their life. And, and also these visuals that not only Herzogian also Wes Andersonian yes (laughs) with the little red beanies and the French new (laughs) wave um, look that they have
0: Mm -hmm. no I mean and it was picked up by Nat Geo which is partners with uh, Disney plus who have gotten like who have like the deal with like Free Solo and The Rescue and and movies like that and I, I personally was thinking it would might go to somewhere like Neon because that it also had that kind of Neon vibe, to it being a small, right. very independent uh, film. And, and usually, you know, the big hit documentary of of the festival last year was Flea, and I thought that this would, they might grab it, but it's been kind of quiet from a lot of, uh, you know, this was the big deal so far, as you mentioned, but a lot of other films so far have been not picked up yet. And it's interesting is that I think, People are waiting. Maybe, you know, there's the caution of are the streamers going to pick up everything? Are the studios going to kind of wait and see maybe lowball offers to, you know, then maybe have these films go in theatrical? Some films have come in with already deals, but this one to me is like an ultimate, you know, crowd pleaser of a documentary because of the fact that you have this beautiful footage mixed in with this wonderful love story. And you're on the edge of your seat the entire time, also with this great soundtrack and uh, wonderful narration. And yeah, it's 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 a testament to volcanoes and love. And it was I saw it, I think, on Saturday and I was like how am I getting emotionally attached but also like
2: <laughs> right? jazz,
0: to, jazz to go run around the corner of excitement over a volcano I never would yeah, have thought in my wildest dreams
2: no no I, I completely agree with and both you and I saw it on screens at home you just imagine in a theater experience
0: oh god I could just I mean I hooked it up to my television and I have a I have I'm not trying to shamelessly plug I have a 4K television, but it's nowhere near the the beauty and the sound and the and and just the 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 grandioseness of a of a big screen. Like I could see this playing in my head as I was watching. I was like, man, just the the sound of that lava flowing, that red yeah. You're, it's like I don't know about you, but like wanting, I just wanted to touch it. I know you can't touch it.
2: I know that's because you'd be
0: dead. And like, there's a point where they have gloves on and they're trying to touch it, and like they they almost it almost burns through the gloves.
2: There's a point but you're I was in like a boat, and you're thinking we're around like too close <laughs> to. It's like oh, like
0: boat. a boat of acid, right? Yeah. And then you're like, and, <laughs> and the fact, yeah, that was that was. I was sitting there, and I was like, man, I, I was just imagining the conversation afterward because, like, Miranda July just kind of says um, that. uh You know that they were kind of angry at each other after that exchange
2: because he took 45 minutes longer than he said she was a little pissed off about exactly
0: and I'm i'm just imagining just like how my wife would feel if i was like yeah i'm gonna go into a river of acid and uh and i'll be back you know and she'd probably be like don't come back at that point you know what I
2: mean fascinating and the love story is just unbelievable and and that two people with such an incredibly passionate find each other like they mm-hmm. did I mean there's hope for the rest of us right
0: <laughs> <laughs> no for okay. sure I mean I mean it it also has that interesting balance of, of the, the fact that like they're talking about the entire time that uh Volcanologists, or, or you know, volcanologists, or however you want to say it, mm. they really don't end up together. It's not a really good profession to do it, and yet somehow their yin and yang work so well together that it's it's just it's intoxicating to watch. I mean, yeah, it's it's one of the best of the festival for sure.
2: So another couple of uh, of the high profile films. There's a little mini theme that uh, that I see if you agree with me, and that's women exploring sexual pleasure that they deserve one of these films is one of my favorite of the fest and one i'm still trying to wrap my mind around and it's quite a disappointment but though starting with the one that i really love see what you think that's good luck to you leo grande which is emma thompson an incredible performance by someone i didn't know um daryl mccormick directed by sophie hyde it's about a retired widow nancy stokes who hires a sex worker she's in a point in her life when she realizes that she has never really experienced pleasure and is just on a quest for self discovery and it's basically the two of them in, in different meetings in a hotel room i thought it was just tremendous and emma thompson is never been better I'm-
0: yeah no i i agree with you i think that uh it's it was a kind of a surprise uh, because from just like the the description of it, as you just read, it seems, Oh, it's going to be like a sex comedy or, you know, or, or whatnot. And actually it of divulges into a drama by the end of these two people that are, are, are in this agreement for sex. And yet they're both very fragile people that sort of need more than that. They need kind of a hug. I mean, there's this, this somberness to the both of them and sadness that I found, um, I don't know, maybe it's because I, I'm starting to see movies more very sad from a different lens. But um, but I, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was really one of those films that we don't get to see a lot anymore. One, it's super empowering, especially for Emma Thompson. I mean, she bears it all,
2: she bears um, it all
0: literally. And, and literally it's it's it is there's no stone that isn't unturned. Mm-hmm. And it's I think one of her best performances uh, in quite some time.
2: It'll be Oscar talk for her, don't you think?
0: I would hope so. I would, I, I would hope so because of the fact that, you know, we don't get to see women of this age be this vulnerable, this, um, this open. And I think that it is, um, it is, like a shell opening up, this entire film. But I also think uh, with Dylan McCormick, mm-hmm. uh, Darryl, is his name so. Daryl McCormick. Um, his performance is. Uh, fantastic and he goes toe to toe with one of our great actors uh, of, of, you know and they just have this I think the the other thing that I've noticed a lot is the chemistry within yes, these films is, is, is a lot of these films that I've been watching I was like man you know these movies may not work or they or they do work as a whole but the the casting in a lot of these films has been absolutely fantastic and this was especially because it's a it is a two-handed. You know, it is these, no pun intended. Um, It is, it is these just two in a room and these four different, you know, sessions that they have. And as they go on, it's sort of, you, you get to know more and more about them. And it sort of becomes. Not just more and more,
2: their whole life, really. Yeah, really. What what Emma Thompson has been missing, but not only sexually, her kids and her, as a woman, and as a professional woman, and how she feels that she's been as a woman towards other Women, when she was a teacher to girls, what she was teaching them about sex and how to be a woman, and what she, you know, regrets—just all these things that open up like a flower that you don't see coming.
0: Well, and then also too, there's his story, right. where it's it's that he is providing this service that, you know, I I still think in a modern sense that you know, sex workers and in in, in in this profession is looked on as just just with the roll of an eye with a hiss and in this film it really explores that these people are human beings underneath and there could and there's a lot of pain that is involved in this profession and then you start unraveling it too is that it's it's a very lonely job for for leo in this in this film too and you know these encounters that he has with people are really the only way he's connecting with anyone mm-hmm. And I found that to just be really tragic to, to go inside Nancy's story too, where, you know, she was in this marriage for so many years that it was sex was a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am sort of thing. And it wasn't pleasurable. And I think what's so great about it, it's just these honest conversations about sex that we don't get to see a lot, um, generationally, racially, um, you know, through the sexist, I think I think it's a really, really smart, um, beautiful, sensual little film.
2: Okay, so I'll introduce this one that was a bit of a disappointment, and that's a movie called Sharp Stick, which is actually Lena Dunham's <laughs> first feature, her return, I think it's 13 years to feature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a movie, it stars Jennifer Jason Lee, John Bernthal, who I think is excellent in it, Christine Froset. And this is about a 26-year-old woman who has had a hysterectomy at, like, the age 15 or 16 or something like that. And she is also exploring sex. She's a babysitter. She loses her virginity to her employer, and it sort of unleashes her uh, exploration into all these things that she wants to do. Tell me what you think about this movie.
0: Oh, this is easily, like, the worst film I've seen at the festival uh, so far. I just... I just didn't vibe with it at all. I think that it's such a, I can't, I don't even know if I can put it into words, how uncomfortable I was watching this movie for, for some, for certain parts of it. I just, I didn't buy the, I think that there, there's this and then there's another film um, that came out during the festival as well, that I just didn't vibe with. And it was called uh, Palm trees and power lines. And both of these films have these relationships that are between underage girls and men uh that are are much older than them. And one is an affair and the other one is a is a, a grooming um exercise. Uh and 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 I I for one, after this year of of seeing films, you know, in discourse and conversation over them, um, I think in order to to have these honest conversations about a subject that is very prominent, um, and, and very, um, important, you know, you're talking about the fact that, uh, that this issue is about impressionable girls being chased and persuaded into all kinds of things by, uh, disgusting men. And I think that a movie like Sean Baker's red rocket last year, for most part explored that in a very darkly humoristic way, I think there's a way to do it on a dramatic side and through the female perspective that these two films sort of do, but miss the mark. And they're not really focused on that. And I think Lena Dunham, who is a, a, is a, a controversial person and it has nothing to do with her as, as that, I mean, she, you know, I, I personally don't know most of her controversies. I'm not in that sphere to to, to care about that. I just judge what I see. And what I saw here was just a a movie that was very disjointed, uh, tonally. uh, A lot of it actually was kind of unfocused. Uh, I thought a lot of the characters that were in there didn't make a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, I kept asking. What does she want to say? I mean, that, that was my big problem with it. I, I hear what you're saying. I think you you hit the nail on the head in, in the sense that this 26-year-old girl lives with her mother and her sister who are very outgoing, very, I mean, she's grown up within this very unusual family, but she's super naive. Like, I don't understand how she can grow up in this family and be so, and then I read someone who said that at the one point, this character was supposed to be autistic. Um, and Ooh. I didn't know, was that what she was trying to do? And then... And then, as you say she has this older man she seems to be taken advantage of by several men in the prior movie we were talking about where Nancy is in a way in control and she's learning about herself and talking about herself here she just seems to be I don't know I, I just I've got a really unpleasant feeling the whole time and I like Lena Dunham. I was a fan of girls and I know that there's controversy around her, but I like someone who, who will explore difficult subjects in this. But mm. I was really confused about what she was trying to say with this movie. And-
0: no, I, I I agree and I and I do think Barenthal well one, John Barenthal is good in anything. And he, he has looks a good, good year. in everything. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks good in everything. So <laughs> I, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna say no to John Barenthal, but I also just there's a point in the film where he disappears and 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 then the movie turns into something else and I think it's like three movies in one and I wish it would just pick one and also yeah I do agree with you I think that she's naively written for a very progressive household
2: anyway I hope Lena Dunham comes back (laughs) no it's not like I want to be disappointed I really I've just sat there sort of scratching my head
0: she's she's an interesting voice and I think that that's what's so great about Sundance. You get all these interesting voices. It just doesn't work sometimes. And it's, it's a bit of a bummer, you know, when you have to say, you have to say it's the worst voice <laughs> yeah, in festival. But, and because <laughs> no, because it, because she does do a lot of female forward, uh, you know, empowering, you know, work and, uh, it, you know, within her, her writing and stuff. And so, um, I know a lot of people that love girls and her movies and tiny furniture and, and things of that nature. And so it, it's, it's not a pleasure. To, no. to say that I didn't like a film.
2: Another interesting theme, I feel there's a Jordan Peele, Emerald Fennell, promising young woman, exciting horror thing going on with a lot of uh, directorial debuts too. And I thought we'd talk about a few of those. Did you get a chance to see Fresh?
0: I did see Fresh. That one is uh, produced by Adam McKay and it is directed by uh, Mimi Cave. And it stars Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan, and so they, they sort of meet at a bar one night, and they have a couple of dates, and they're getting really to like each other. And you're like, oh, why is why is oh, what's gonna happen? Oh, it's like thirty minutes in, and oh, they're like really liking each other. It's a rom com. It's a rom com, and you're like, oh my god, look a nice Sebastian Stan role. Oh my god, he's so adorable. And then it takes a turn halfway through and you realize, oh, he's like a doctor that like drugs girls and he kind of just keeps them in a dungeon. And and that's really all you need to know. Um, there's, there's a lot of other things that are involved. Uh, it's a, it is a weird movie. I will say tonally speaking, it's all over the place. Uh, I personally wasn't a big fan of it because I think that it's horror elements or slash commentary are so on the nose um and i think that the movie at times wants to be a jordan peele kind of commentary the other time wants to be a slasher you know gory fest boring. and in besides the two committed performances once again i think both uh, jones and stan have really good chemistry the movie i think overstays its welcome even though it's only like i think it's it's only it's 117 minutes the movie should have been ninety minutes. It's it adds too much, and it has also the problem that I hate in horror films, where it's it uses uh, minority characters as like a vessel for the white characters to either save them or for the the white uh, characters to save them. Like the 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 black best friend trope is used in here a ton, and it's a tired trope. In horror films, or in films in general, like comedies and stuff like that too, and I just think in this film, in this case too, it's really poorly done and should not be in here. But I think Stan and and Jones give a pretty good performances that, that I think at ten o'clock at night, if it's at your local cinema and you got nothing else to watch, you can go watch it and you'll have a disposable kind of time
2: with it. I think I liked it more than you. It caught me so much by surprise that i'm not much for the gore aspect it was a lot of gore but I, <laughs> as a directorial debut it was really elegantly done i liked mm-hmm. the fact that it it was it went from one movie to another i kind of like the fact if you can use that old tired trope turned it up to 11 that i mean sebastian <laughs> stan goes all out in that performance and I also think without giving the ending away, um, Promising Young Woman movie I really loved last year. I think this one had a little bit of a more satisfying ending that the girls got a bit yeah. more agency
1: yeah. than they actually yeah.
2: got in that. If you can stand that much gore, I, I thought it was a surprising film. And I'm interested to see what Mimi Cave does going yes. forward, definitely.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. I, you know, if, if a movie doesn't work with me, um, we usually have the saying on extra film, when we see a directorial debut and if it doesn't quite work for you it's like there's enough there still in my opinion in every directorial effort unless you do something morally irresponsible um, for me to go just because this one didn't work it doesn't mean that I can't wait to see the next one and I, there's a film that we'll talk about here in a little bit I'm sure where that I've had that feeling and then it and it turned back around on me and, and I was it's one of my favorite films of the year so far Ooh, so exciting. Uh yeah <laughs>
2: so the next one in this category is mariama diallo also a directorial debut of her movie master starring regina hall what did you think of this and what was it
0: about this, this one's really fascinating so it sort of follows uh three african-american women of of two older one uh, younger two of them are uh, the, the two older ones are or professors at this uh, pre- is mostly prestigious uh, white college. And uh, the, the younger girl is, is an, an incoming freshman. And it has those Jordan Peele aspects that you're mentioning. It it also has, I think, its own fresh take on it. A very female forward, female centric horror, uh, supernatural film. Also just dealing with the anxiety of what it is like to be uh, Black on these campuses. And I think we've seen, you know, mo- you know, television shows and movies like Dear White People sort of in school days sort of examine these, these ideas, but not in the sense of how much anxiety and trauma it can cause. And I thought that this was a really stylized, beautifully edited and shot debut with some really subtle performances that boil to the top by the end. I think it has a lot of horror aspects, but the horror aspects are, are, are code or are, are metaphors for, um, this racial divide and, uh, that we have a lot still on American college campuses and campuses around the world. And it's, it's, it was quite, uh, impressive. And it's one also too, that I think that it's a power and a Testament to it. It lingered in my head the next day of like, Why? You know, why why was that so good? Why why was it why why was it hitting all the right notes for me? And it's because I think that, you know, ultimately it, it's shining a light on an issue without actually like jamming it down your throat. It's very subtly done. Uh Regina Hall is really good in this film. And she's having a Sundance, Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, but this one I think is is the better one of her vehicles. Though I think I think so too. The other vehicle might be her better performance. I think this is the better film, um, because the just uh, just the overall uh, message of it is 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 really one for for examination.
2: I thought this was inc- just incredibly impressively directed. It was so tight; nothing was unnecessary. It was creepy when it had to be creepy, and yeah. it had a message not on the nose. Uh, excellent performances all around. So, yeah, I was also impressed with this. A couple of other ones in this category is one I don't think you've gotten a chance to see called Resurrection.
0: No, but you have.
2: I have, so I'll just quickly say that it's a psychological thriller. An excellent performance by Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. It's a movie about, really about trauma, grief, and being ghosted, really. Um, A Mm. woman who has had a horrible experience in her past that comes to haunt her. I thought it was good. I thought it was, um, this was not as so tight. It it had Mm -hmm. 20, 25 minutes that, for my sake, I thought it got quite repetitive. But um, I recommend it. And then there's one called Duel. Did you like that one?
0: I I didn't. And and that's... And, uh and that's it's sad because I liked uh Riley stern's last film the artist self-defense uh quite a lot I, I thought that that was a a brilliant um ex, uh, examination of male toxicity within sports within society and this movie while it is 95 minutes I felt this thing dragged like I think it 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 it, it had some one note very repetitive uh I think,
2: basically about clones fighting each other
0: <laughs> yeah like who who can survive you know who you know between you and your clone and and stuff and and I do think that Aaron Paul who plays sort of a combat clone specialist like he prepares the the human to fight the clone, I think he's actually pretty good. I wish there was more of him. Uh, he he provides levity but that sort of action in the middle of it, you know, combat stuff. It reminded me a lot of the art of self-defense. Um, it reminded me also of the double, uh, which is a Jesse Eisenberg film as well. And I I, I started thinking a, a lot as this movie was going on. I'm like, what is it trying to say? Other than like something about maybe technology or where we're going in the future. I, I, I was trying to grasp at a commentary and ultimately it was just a very dull film with a performance from karen gillen that look i i love her i think that she's a, a very i think she can be a very good actress she just doesn't pick the right material wasn't she very this,
2: stiff in this i didn't understand her performance she
0: was well. and thank you yeah and 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 that's sort of the cadence that Stearns likes to have he likes to have uh, these vessels that then come and blossom as the film goes on the problem is, is this, this this one doesn't open up and by the end of it it's like what did I spend 95 minutes here doing? and and so yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed. I know a lot of people really do like it because you have to vibe with his films and I think,
1: hey, hey there, I'm Hannah and I'm Audrey. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at Evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.
0: For me, I've I've vibed with one, but haven't vibed with most of them. And um, so, yeah, it was that was a, another kind of, disappointment
2: okay next category i have the feeling we're going to disagree majorly on one here if i'm if i'm deducting for what you said prior this is actor turned directors the first one is you just mentioned him jesse eisenberg's directorial debut he's written and directed when you finish saving the world it stars julianne moore and finn wolfhart among others about well uh interesting family um (laughs) (laughs) now this was my big disappointment. I hated this okay. movie. <laughs> I thought it was a bad impression of a Noah Baumbach film.
0: No, that's fine, because I'm
2: I'm I'm very it, in the right? middle
0: on it. Yeah. No, okay. I didn't. I'm very in the middle on it. I'm very in the middle on it. Um yeah, I'm sorry. So we're agreeing a lot and it's okay. Uh no, I was very in the middle on it. I, I ended up giving it like a, a C in my review. Um I I thought that the performances by Moore and Wolfhart are are, are 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 good they're good performances they're not great I actually thought Wolfhart was was better in the film as it as it sort of he opened was. up I
2: just I hated his character oh, yeah. oh, like, oh no ugh. they're
0: terrible human beings like let's there's no going around it they're awful people um and I actually ended up feeling sorry for the the actor that played their dad. Yeah. Who's just like sitting there drinking a glass of wine like they
2: miss all his big, you know, when he gets yeah. a prize, they never get they're just so self-involved. You have to love someone, or you have yeah. to, you know, or not even love them or hate them so much that it's interesting. I don't know. I I didn't it was not fun.
0: No, but like by the end of the film too, in those Bombak films, those terrible human beings have an epiphany. Yes. And they realized that they need to sort of mature and be better, and and then also they they realize the relationships they have around them. And 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 there are scenes added in that in those movies that crystallize uh, for those characters to connect. I think of a movie that I'm not a giant fan of, but the ending of Marriage Story is a perfect example of. You know and even like squid in the well greenbird you know Meyerwitz, like they all have those endings uh where they connect everyone back together and have the time to do so this movie doesn't do any of that and it just gives you that ending by the end and it and it did this typical sundance thing that i just hate i don't know about you but it, i i sat there and i was watching and i was like oh this movie is about to end in three two one and then the credits rolled and i was like stupid <laughs> stupid just dumb like what are we doing here it's it's just it i i hate that they they that he had to do that and he seemingly had uh, you know emma stone and her husband were producing partners with him he had the resources i think to really flesh this out and this was based off of a a radio play that he sort of created with wolfhard and i think caitlin deaver during the the pandemic and then he molded it into the story i i I was, it was complete mess back. I think when Wolfhard and Moore at each other's throats, I loved it. Cause I was like, yeah, give me all the acting, the acting. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
2: yeah, okay. yeah. And Moore is always, it just couldn't connect with what they were going through somehow. It was just, no, it I agree. was all over the place for me. But then there's one that I cried my way through this charm ball of a movie from beginning to end. It felt like, and that's Cha-Cha Real Smooth which is another actor, director, Cooper Rafe, who's in it and who's written it and directed it. I just thought it was the most endearing little thing I've seen in a longest time. And Dakota Johnson, I mean, Dakota Johnson this year with is just hitting it out of the park.
0: Oh, I, I love this movie. This was the movie I was talking about where I was like, I okay, really- Okay, I thought it was did...
2: Eisenberg. That's why I no, thought you loved I it. No, I
0: really did not like Shit House. Like, I, I thought that that was such a. God, it was just a bad movie. Like, I, and I still think it is like I was it's very meandering. And I think that this is much more focused. And also, too, I think Rave's character in in that film drove me up the walls. This one, I just wanted to give him a hug. He's so nice. It's almost like it's almost like. He was watching Ted Lasso I saw somebody online said this is like A (laughs) a Ted Lasso figure and I'm like Yeah he kind of is because movies like this As you know they take a turn where You know the guy becomes a creep or It turns into like this affair thing It doesn't happen right It's it's, this to me was You know and I know this is gonna This is really dumbing it down but It was like the best Judd Apatow Movie we've never gotten only was Much more honed in and toned down and less of a runtime than those movies seem to be. And it's really just about these two lost souls that are quote unquote soulmates, but they're not really 100% romantically involved. And it's just, he's this, he, he's so adorable Cooper Rafe uh, in this movie. And he's just kind of taking care of this mom and her autistic child. Um, and
2: his little brother, and who his he's...
0: little brother, and yet he's very much tattered and broken on the inside yeah, and not fully an head adult. Head. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And oh my God, Dakota Johnson. This is like, this is the performance I think of her career so far. Like, I think she's given so much in her chemistry with Cooper. Ray. I mean, I wrote in my review for, for awards watch that like, they don't just have enough chemistry to light up a screen. They have enough chemistry to light up an entire city. In this movie, and it's so good. You have like Brad Garrett and Leslie Mann or who play his parents. And yeah, I just really loved it. And it was surprising. Like I like I said, it was not a fan of Shed House, but man, this movie's great.
2: It's predictable in one way, and you want him, like you were saying, to just be this good guy, and he is, and, and you get satisfaction with that. But it does end in a way you think that it's not satisfactory, but it's still satisfactory. You know oh, what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: It's it's such a good ending.
2: You don't want it, but you want it.
0: I, no. I, and, and, it, and in a lot of ways, it's a very I think it's kind of a very honest ending and fitting for for who they are as these characters. And it's it it. I do think, though, it, it it takes a while to end. There's maybe like there's like two or three endings, I think, with it. I was um, with <laughs> but I was I was just like, give me more time. I don't want to leave him. I don't you know, like the thing about shithouse is just like by the end, he's a good person. You're like, OK. Uh, good for him in this one. You're like, please don't let me leave these characters. And that's, that's, uh, it's, it's good. It's really good. I'm, I'm lost for words because I just, and I wanted to almost like, if I didn't have a ton of other movies to watch and you didn't have a ton of other movies to watch, I would watch this one right now again. Like, that's how great it is. And it's nice to do a
2: live commentary. (laughs) Exactly. And And it's just nice.
0: It's nice to have like romantic films. We don't get a lot of these, like this and Leo Grande. These are some very romantic movies that studios are not doing anymore. And I'm glad to see that, you know, at least at this festival, there's a couple ones that I do think audiences would go for this. I do think audience would go, especially for Leo Grande as well, because of the fact that uh, they have stars in them, and they are very like this one feels very A24 word of mouth. You go see it you know, with your family, and I think everybody would really like it.
2: It's going to be a crowd pleaser, it must. Yeah. And and Dakota Johnson has another um, film in. I haven't seen that yet because that's I'm going to see that tomorrow in the fest. Um, Tignataro's film. So I mean, she's just having a year too, well deserved.
0: And she produced both of them too.
2: Before we get, I want to do some docs afterwards, but I have two movies which don't really have a theme, but I really want to mention one which was very anticipated called 892. Mm -hmm. Some big names in this. We have John Boyega, Michael K. Williams' last role, Nicole Bahari, Connie Britton, and it's a true story or based on a true story about a desperate ex-Marine who is not getting what he he has a family or he has a daughter and an ex-wife and he wants his VA money and in desperation he takes a couple hostages in a bank what did you think of it
0: um I thought it was a really great heartbreaking character piece uh for John Boyega and and yeah to see Michael K Williams this is his final role it was like oh god it, you know we've had so many recent celebrity deaths. And then to remind myself, and I didn't know he was in the film when I saw him on screen was my, I was like, Oh no. Like I was, I was, was, my heart broke again because I loved him. He was such a great presence on screen. Um, Just one of those great character actors that, you know, I, I never thought he got his due. Um, But Boyega here is fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's this story that really shines a light on how Uh, American Street veterans post their service, Um, how the VA is just a giant messed up organization from top to bottom and how a small amount of money really can change the course of an entire family in an entire community Um, because of the fact that, you know, yes, it's said in Atlanta, but it's said in a small section of it. And it, it is a very powerful story. I think Nicole Bahari, uh, who's a uh, place, one of the hostages is very good. Michael K Williams is very good, but it's it's a showcase for John Boyega, who, you know, post his Star Wars career had uh, his role in red, white and uh, red, white and blue, I believe is what it was called uh, the part in uh, small acts. And, and and now this and those two really great showcase performances for him an actor that I think is is uh is really really good so yeah um a uh, little, little tough to get through because of of everything but uh and, and varied shades of dog day afternoon at times but also I think it's a, a more uh, you know modern urgent message given uh, everything going on with
2: has this been sold
0: I do not believe it's been sold yet no but it, it's it, it feels I mean... like a yeah it, it'll get picked up you know, for sure.
2: And then I want to talk a movie that I haven't gotten to see yet, but I'm, I'm pretty sure you love it, or I saw on Twitter that you love it, and that's mm-hmm. after Yang.
0: God, uh, my favorite film of the fest uh, so far. Um, I, It's this uh, sci-fi memory box movie from director Koganaga, uh, who directed Columbus a couple years back, and it has Colin Farrell and uh, Jodie Turner-Smith and a couple of newcomers that play their kids. Uh, there's also... Haley Richardson and Clifton Collins Jr. has a small role in it as well. And it's about this uh, family who are trying to get uh, their uh, family robot that uh, is also like a babysitter. It's uh, the whole thing with technology and everything, but the, as they sort of uncover things about the robot, the more that they sort of, uh, it feels like a, a like they're grieving this family member being gone. And that's all I will say about that. Um, and because I think it's so beautiful and I've, I have not seen this in in quite some time where a director goes from their debut and they knock that out of the park and then they go and they're already a master of their craft. They just go, I haven't seen this and it, it's a remarkable thing to see. Um, and it's all done. So minimalist. Because the way he uses the, the camera and the way he uses the, the the small amount of money, I'm always amazed by directors that have these giant visions. I think of like last year, my favorite film of the year, uh, The Green Knight. That's that movie is such a vast film. And it's only done on like a fifteen million dollar budget, as opposed to like the you know The Last Duel, which duel. is like a hundred <laughs> you know a hundred million dollars. So it it just shows you how much you can stretch a budget, and I think. With stretching that, you stretch the imagination. Colin Farrell is is impeccable in this perf- in, in this film. I think the whole cast is great, but it really is a Cogonata show, and it's it, it to me. Uh, I think it is a contender, in my opinion, for one of the best films of the decade so far. Wow. I think that that's how that's how impactful it hit me in, in, in how beautiful it is. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what you think of it. I know I'm just now putting high expectations yes. <laughs> in it now uh, that wait. are unobtainable, but know. I know <laughs> exactly.
2: And I thought we'd, we'd end off for, for a little bit here and talk about the docs Now documentaries. I've always had good luck with documentaries at Sundance. Mm-hmm. I think they usually, and there's a mixed bag here of things that are, are, coming out immediately on different streamers in a week yeah. or two, some some premieres. But one of the, if we're talking themes again, is some very interesting powerful people some very horrible powerful people at well as well <laughs> and some very interesting and and talented ones but there's a few i wanted to mention one is the cosby documentary we have mm-hmm. to talk about cosby um did you you didn't get a chance to see that yet right
0: no i was like a four-hour documentary about bill cosby and it comes out in a week i will i'll wait right. for the installments of that i think it's on showtime
2: it's on starting showtime on the 30th on sunday yeah yeah I can highly recommend it. I th- I couldn't stop watching it. I thought it was a, you know, again we go through these over 70 women who've accused mm-hmm. Bill Cosby of, you know, just horrible druggings and and rapes and and several of them are in this and lend their voices, but also a bunch of voices where Bell is is trying to really grasp the concept of how do we talk about Bill Cosby in Black Mm -hmm. culture? Someone who's been so important, a voice not only in comedy, in film, but also in, you know, education, in, in themes that he talked about. He had a lot of interesting voices grappling with this from a few different perspectives, too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I followed this because, um, Bill Cosby was such is such a vital part to comedy in America and to see that this is getting made. I, I I'm, I'm fascinated by it, but I think also too, what's what, you know, reading about it, seeing, I did see the trailer for it and, and gain, gaining the responses from it, like yours and others, it really is this examination yet again, that we have to sort of internalize and conflict of it, Are we going to be able to separate the art and the artist in this case it's so vile, but also, you know, and, and, and his work is so important. Bill Cosby's work as a comedian set the ground for so many comedians that we know so many television shows. We don't have, you know, insecure blackish, all these other shows that are dominating the landscape without the success of the Cosby show. And yet, as I was told throughout my entire life, this is the man that is the, the modicum of if you don't want to curse if you don't want to be foul in comedy you'd be like Bill Cosby my my grandparents saw him live, my parents saw him live and yet there is there is this vile person uh underneath it all and it's it it'll be a fascinating watch uh, I will probably wait until all four parts because I know they're doing one part at right. a, uh, each night on on Showtime starting on the 30th. But I, I, I'm fascinated to watch the whole thing and, and to hear the, the conversation and discussion over it because I think it is a vital conversation. Well, you know what's interesting
2: about this documentary? What he's done here is this question you have, uh, we all have every time. You know, would be it Woody Allen or whoever separating the art? Mm-hmm. I got answered here in Cosby cases. You can't. Because he was forming his career in order to get a certain amount of respect that he's hiding in in plain sight. So when they run through, when he starts calling himself Dr. Cosby and, and all these things, at some point, there's no way to sort of get at him. So. And someone actually says, I don't remember which of the women say that he's masking his mental illness in the roles he's taking. Good so in, in this case, I think you get a really clear answer that no, you can't.
0: Wow. Well, no. I, and, and I think for the most part, you, you can't because then when you I, I agree, like when I watch Woody Allen films uh, or I've seen Woody Allen films since everything over the last couple of years, it's very hard for me to not envision You know this this person behind the camera making his vision whether the actors are there or not um and and so it 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 is one for me that um i agree like i i I, there's no there's no cosby reruns on television he's virtually out of the eye um but it is you know i I grew up watching the show i think like most of us did and now you know to know it's it, it feels like a like a backstab not only to to just these horrific acts that he did to these women, but also to every person that ever watched that and thought, I, I want to be like this comedian one day. And it's, yeah. And W. Kamal Bell is a fascinating voice in society in general. I mean, his, his thoughts on the world are are extensively just thought-provoking and brilliant. So when I saw that he was doing this too, like, it, it you know, I, I know that a good friend of mine uh the, uh, the awards editor at Variety, Clayton Davis has already said, like, if we can do OJ made in America at the Oscars, we can do this one because it says oh, yes. it's such a vital piece. And, uh, and, and I, and, you know, I, I, I don't know all about that. I know that they changed the rules and stuff. It'll probably go up for Emmys, but I think that it'll be an interesting conversation that we're having over the next couple of weeks, once everybody's able to see it.
2: And I'll just mention a few of the other one. Phoenix rising is, uh, Amy Bergstock It's Evan Rachel Wood's horrifying story of the abuse Mm. she suffered um, while she was with Marilyn Manson Um, but also her activism and also her background and the first episode was quite chilling I've only seen that one Mm. and then we have another documentary about Diana (laughs) Lady Diana the princess which kind of tired of Diana at this point I'm tapped out I'm tapped out. out I'm not a huge fan of Spencer, probably the only one who's not. No,
0: I'm not a, I'm not a giant fan of it either.
2: This is interesting because I felt that it gave her agency in a way that that film didn't. So in that aspect, I thought it was, it was well done. Mm -hmm. And then the, the last of the ones I've seen of the sort of big personalities, um, that's the, uh, nothing compares about Sinead O'Connor, which really Mm -hmm. moved me. coming out in an incredibly tragic time in her life when she lost her own son to suicide. And I know the, the director behind this didn't want to give do any press, sort of out of respect of Sinead, but she's made a really wonderful movie about her you see yet another woman so abused by the press for speaking out about injustices. And she's so prophetic in all the things that she was talking about and just was getting so much shit over her SNL (laughs) thing and what she was saying about the Catholic Church. really puts into perspective the abuse she suffered by her own mother in childhood and just that voice and that talent and she's so young and and I I highly recommend that I have to say I thought it was really excellent
0: yeah no I I thought it was riveting riveting documentary and I and I was I I was so heartbroken for her in the in what we've done I do think that it is very by the note you know it's going through it's very you know wikipedia biography about that but what you do get is you get that voiceover you get to see the God, just the how our society is so wrong and how we mistreated her. And yet, you know, I I think of like the the talking heads or when she's at that Bob Dylan concert and they're booing her. And it's like, so y'all are all okay booing this woman when, you know, who is standing up against the establishment when literally that's what Bob Dylan did.
2: I know it's it's a freaking Bob Dylan concert.
0: It's so it's so misogynist and, and, but typical American. And then also too, it's like now of everything we know about the Pope at the time and the cover-ups and the scandals and everything that has gone on, how this woman was so on the nose about it and how we mistreated her is so ridiculous. And, and yet she's got no apologies whatsoever about it. Um, I, I, I just, I, and then at the end she's singing too. And and her voice still sounds impeccable. And I know she's gone through so much in her life. She's had a very rough life, uh, mostly because of what the media has done to her and the psychological damage that, you know, all that can have. But uh, I think that, you know, it it made me want to just listen to her music and be a giant supporter of her and and everything that she's gone on. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a very, it was one of the better docs that we've seen so far.
2: And didn't you just love Chris Christofferson at that Dylan concert?
0: Don't let the bastards get you down.
2: Giving her oh, so much love that that. What a porn. badass.
0: What a badass Chris Christopherson.
2: So I wanted to just ask you about La Guerra Civil, which I haven't seen, which is Eva Longoria's. She directed it, right?
0: Correct. Correct. She did. Yeah.
2: What did you think of that?
0: I thought I thought it was really good documentary. It's really entertaining. Um it's a it's a sort of I'm a sucker for sports documentaries. I love sports. Um, So, uh, you know, to see Julio Cesar Chavez and Oscar De La Hoya, um, who De La Hoya does a lot of work down here in the San Antonio area. And and Eva Longoria uh, lives down here in in the San Antonio area when she did for a long time. So it was like watching since these figures that I've known for so, so long and yet I didn't really actually know all the intricacies about uh, you know, De La Hoya and Cesar Chavez's fights and how important they were to Mexican and Mexican American culture and how there is this constant divide um, in, in Mexican culture with this machismo sort of, uh, you know, I'm better than you mentality, especially when it comes to these two where, you know, Chavez is an, is, is a, a native born, uh, Mexican fighter and uh, Oscar De La Hoya is a Mexican American fighter and they're both celebrated by uh, by the Latino X culture until they fight each other and it really becomes this, you know, pound for pound like what are we talking about, you know, are we really all together or are we going to really when it comes down to it separate ourselves and are our experiences different or are they very much the same? And I thought that she expertly entered herself into those questions because it is a question that she's asking of herself. She is a Mexican-American. I am a Mexican-American. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching it because the way Oscar De La Hoya is being treated by these fans is that of an outsider, is that mm-hmm. of no different than when we talk about black and white issues in America. Or around the world. And it's, it's tragic. It reminded me a lot of the, the colorism scandals of the summer from last year, where we were talking about in the Heights and in, in, in the infighting that can happen sometimes within the Latino culture about, you know, who is, who is dark enough? Who is light enough? Who is, you know, who is this, who is that? And it's a really fascinating toggle mixed with also with that. If you have all that turmoil, it creates a rivalry. And it creates this, well, if I have to prove something even more than just that I'm a better boxer than you, I have to prove that I'm a, enough of a Mexican in my culture. And it's, it's actually really well done. I, I don't know. I don't know who's going to pick it up. It feels really weirdly. It feels like an ESPN yeah, or, I a DSPN or, or maybe they did pick it up. I, 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 I didn't see the acquisition yet, uh, but just Fascinating. And she gets boxing experts as families. She gets both Cesar Chavez and De La Hoya to sit down. And it's really introspective and to still see how some of those feelings almost 20 years later are still bubbling or over 20 years later are still bubbling. Um it's fascinating it's it, it I really I really enjoyed it
2: and another really powerful one the descendant not the just mm-hmm. descendant I think Margaret Brown's documentary about the history of the Clotilda which was the last known slave ship that arrived mm-hmm. in the US and the descendants of the Clotilda survivors who are like reclaiming their stories in this documentary I found that really riveting and powerful and
0: yeah no for sure and, and also I like that it doesn't go down sort of investigating the ship. No, it is. It's an exploring the generational impact that this, this, this event had on an entire community. And it reminded me a little bit of like Hale County this morning, this evening that came out a couple of years ago,
2: Right,
0: very much looking at this town and how um, an event or, or rate or racial components can, can have generationally. Um, and then you add in industrially, you add in big business, you add in uh, the zoning problems that happen, uh, you know, <laughs> redistricting that happens in, in America that is a just an upsetting gerrymandering sort of a situation. Um, and yet, what's left is is these people that are just wanting their story heard. They want their and they want people to believe them, and and they want to just have closure. That their parents or their parents haven't had it. It's a really, story. yeah, yeah. No, it's a really beautiful piece of work.
2: Finally, in the doc, did you get a chance to see my old school?
0: I have not, no, but I I, I think you did, right? And is it pretty good?
2: It's, it's pretty good. I mean, it was fascinating about a 16 year old kid called Brandon Lee who enrolls in a high school. And then it turned out that he was a 32 year old man who was masquerading as a 16-year-old boy at the same school that he went to. And Alan Cumming plays him. Well, he actually lip-syncs him because the real didn't want to show his face, but he tells his story. So Alan Cumming sort of plays him. And then it's a bunch of interviews with his former classmates. I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking in terms of documentary making. It's one of the high schoolers themselves who have done this, uh, the former high schoolers, I should say, who's, Behind the documentary, but I, I thought it was fascinating. I think that that's going to be a broad crowd pleaser. I think it's going to attract a lot of people.
0: That sounds fascinating. It, you, you, you,
2: I think you'd love it actually because it yeah. takes some turns where you like. He has, if if I can use that word, some cojones <laughs> for the things he <laughs> does can. when he goes back to the same school where he was a sixteen year old. You'd you'd find it fascinating.
0: I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put that on today. I'm yeah, gonna, I, so I know I have, a, I have a link
2: Ryan before I let you go is there something you want to mention here at the middle of the fest that what did we mention? run through
0: I think we ran through most of it um I I will say there were there were uh three films just real quick I'm just going to say mm-hmm. just what there, there was the the Thanaway Newton film uh God's Country I thought that that was a really slow burn almost western-esque uh racial drama that I think um Works for the most part. I think at the end, it sort of tries to turn into tropes, uh, an action trope or whatnot. But uh, she gives a fantastic performance. Finally, a lead performance for her, um, you know, where she's she's got her agency back as well as the characters um, honk for Jesus. Save your soul. That's the Regina Hall film yeah, all that I was like... talking about uh, that I think is is really it it's good. It could have been better. Um, but what's, what's, uh, it, and I don't think it's commentary, it's, it's satire is as strong as its drama aspects of it. I think it's doing some really interesting things with like uh, the camera and the different uh, sort of aspect ratios with that film, but also the performances from yeah, Sterling K. Brown, K. Brown and, is- and, and and Regina Hall. I mean, my God, both of those, I could see them act for days. And then uh, Living, which is the uh, Akuru remake. Uh, turned into like a British piece and it's with Bill niley And I was not overall, I thought the film was fine. And I think it leaned towards more being like that adaptation of the Kurosawa film, but Bill niley I could watch that man in anything. I mean, he can be Davy Jones every single day of my life. And I will watch that man. Uh, I, I love him. And I think it's a real, uh, showcase for the talent that he is, and I hope people. I know Sony Pictures Classics picked up that one, which kind of feels very right for them, <laughs> and uh, and I hope that uh, the people give it a chance because it's a very, um, it's a very sad but uh, an introspective piece of work that he's doing there. But those are those are some that I would I would highlight if you have a chance to see, go out and see them when you can.
2: Ryan, will you come back and join me again?
0: I will come back whenever you like. I need to get Yay. you on chasing the gold, so we can talk about some Oscar stuff. I think we might we might book something very very soon because I know that we're like in the middle of this Sundance. That'd there's all great. these stuff about uh, the guilds coming out too. So there's there's a there's a lot that's going to be happening for sure.
2: This was so much fun, and and have a good time the rest of the few days here that um, you know that the fest is going on, and let's. Twitter each other or email because I want to know what you think about a few of the ones you hadn't seen that I saw and the couple ones we have left to see
0: oh I know there's yeah. there's it feels like we have a ton still to see yeah. and yet and yet we've seen a ton and yeah. I can see it in your eyes you can see it in my we are tired folks tired. we are tired <laughs> like the fact that we sat down and did this conversation says a lot yes. it really does.
2: and we did it yeah we did yeah <laughs> thank you so much
1: no thank you hey friends this is jim knight former 21 year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker and i'm brant menswar former frontman of hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author we host the how-to podcast thoughts that rock where we talk to rock stars athletes ceos astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.